A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome back to Paris and Tennis Podcast Towers, where it's 11.30 p.m. Our first quarterfinals have been set at the French Open 2023. And we have just witnessed the extraordinary novelty of a women's night session match at Roland Garros. Good, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, we've had a fun night, haven't we? Yeah, it was just a really, really good tennis match. And we all watched it in the, the press seats together. And, you know, it was just everything you want to watch in a good tennis match at night. And it featured two women and what do you know? They can do really good tennis matches. It was a good tennis match, wasn't it? I realised we sort of... All of our takes on this are going to be coloured by the fact that we so desperately wanted it to be a brilliant tennis match and then also were wrestling with the fact that it shouldn't it shouldn't matter at all. These women shouldn't be having to represent all women and all of women's tennis while they're out there. And yet, they were. Um, and there was a level on which it did need to be a good tennis match in order not to have our mentions filled with absolute morons tomorrow and tonight. So there is an element of relief here, isn't there? Certainly considering, Matt, that there was a moment where it was 5-love, Arena Sabalenka in the opening set and Sloane Stephens was receiving ironic applause for, for winning points. Yeah, I mean, personally... I wouldn't have felt shortchanged by that because it was it was absolutely electrifying <laughs> to watch the uh, world number two play some of the most stunning tennis imaginable in those first five games. It was it was Madrid Sabalenka in in the first five games. She just she just came out middling the ball with such intent and also building the points. You know, sort of waiting for her moment picking the right shot at the right time. It was just blisteringly good. It was so Madrid that when I came to join Matt in the press seats, having, he was only a game ahead of me, a game or two ahead of me. I'd gone to get a quiche, David, a mini quiche. Oh, oh yeah. Um, good. You've you got to fuel up for these things. <laughs> uh, when I sat down to join Matt in the press seats, he went, Sabalenka is en fuego. <laughs> and it took me, took me a few seconds to realise what he meant by that. Mm. I'm not always that cringe, I hope. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd made you sound cool. I Maybe, thought, yeah. I thought, Hearing oh, it back a few hours later, it sounds a bit cringe. I thought, but at the oh, time, I thought, that's I thought a cool it was cool. linguist. Well, it's, it's perfectly fitting. Even I know what it means, and it just fits the bill. <laughs> she was, though, wasn't she? En fuego. Oh, it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. Uh, and it was honestly... Well, Hannah on our Twitter put it as as Sabalenka 2.0. And I think that was the big question coming into this match. Will Sabalenka 2.0, this version that we've seen this year, be good enough to beat a very, very good clay court player on clay at the French Open? Something she's never done before. And I, I think in those first five games, we got a very, very emphatic yes. And ultimately in the match, we got a yes as well. This was overall a good performance from Sabalenka. But it did drop off 
pretty dramatically from Fire of Love. I, I didn't think she ever found that level again in the match. Uh, the next five games were a real whirlwind of unforced errors. You know, very much Sabalenka 1.0 there. And uh, then in the second set, once she eventually got through that first set, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But the second set was then much better again from Sabalenka with, with the odd little exception. But she never had a spell of just blazing unforced errors. But generally, 1. very 5? good performance. Yeah, maybe it was a 1.5 Sabalenka overall. <laughs> we'll, we'll settle a debate for us, David, because Matt and I had a, a very good-natured spat sort of midway through the Ooh, second set. I've about... not seen you have spats before. I it wish was, I'd seen that. It was very gentle. Oh, <laughs> why aren't I as gentle? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was about how big a part Sloane Stevens was playing in the scoreline. Matt said, you know, which generally speaking is a sentence I would always agree with. This match, it, it's all on Sabalenka's racket. And sort of, of course, all matches always are on, on Sabalenka's racket. But I thought Sloane Stevens getting used to the Sabalenka ball played a big part in her own resurgence and Sabalenka just getting knocked out of her rhythm a little bit. She hit an incredible rhythm for those first five games and that was assisted by the fact that Sloane Stevens could not handle the power. It's like I was trying to think back on recent Sloane Stevens matches and if she'd faced anyone with anything like the power of Sabalenka because she looked completely shell-shocked by it for a while and then she got a grip on the ball and she was able to... Yeah, she she wasn't hitting many winners of her own, but she was asking questions of Sabalenka, which prevented her from remaining in that zone. That was my take on it anyway, rather than just a sort of binary drop-off from the Sabalenka 2.0 level. What's, what's your feeling? Well, uh, first thing to say is that Sloane Stevens played fairly peak Serena Williams. And so... I think she is somebody that when she gets going can handle power because Serena was as powerful as Sabalenka is now, I think. And I think she did get used to it. I, I still think that there was... I think both things are true. There was a, there was a, a drop-off, a pretty dramatic drop-off because those first five games were extraordinary from Sabalenka and put to bed my view of her as somebody who wasn't going to be able to succeed on clay at Roland Garros. She just made mincemeat out of that view. And so all credit to her. She can play on this stuff as a surface and move on it, and she can hit through it the way she hits through Madrid, if she's sufficiently on. Um, but I also think in order to start missing, it required Sloane Stevens to at least make balls, start getting balls in even though they were coming at her fast. And she just started to time a few more because she wasn't even able to get, even if she got a racket to them in the first five games, they were just sort of crumpling or going off diagonally and out, you know. She was hooking them too much and, and she was late a lot, used something you, you commented on. And so I think she, she actually started to rally really well. There were some really good rallies as that match progressed. And she doesn't have the same destructive power as... Stephen, she has counter-attacking power. And then once she's managed to counter-attack an opportunity, she can take over in her own way. I don't think she did enough of that, really. And maybe that's match sharpness. Um, so actually, I'm, I'm going to bore you and tell you I actually agree with both of you. <laughs> I just always... Uh, and, you, uh, and of course, you're, you're absolutely right, David. But I just always think with Stephen, she's, she's deceptive. Like, I, I've watched matches of hers before where it can look like she's not doing very much but she's actually doing loads it's just so low-key and understated like just like her movement it, it it's not sort of eye-catchingly explosive or 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 flight of flight of foot or you know it, it and yet it's it's just sort of She's just Smooth there. Smooth and purring Easily along. Easily there. And easy. Yeah. And yeah. Look, I... Of course, Stevens played some part in in it going from five love to five all. But I think there were very few moments where I thought Sabalenka's missed that because of 
Stevens because of something Stevens has done. And you could well be right. You could well be her being a deceptive player and me not picking up on the nuances of what she was doing out there. But it seemed like Sabalenka just was in position to hit a lot of winners a lot of the time in, when it was five love and just literally started missing. And it was quite wild. It was off the forehand, it was off the backhand, and I didn't think that Stevens was necessarily the one causing that. I felt like it was Sabalenka getting nervous, getting tight, and... Getting human, because right. th- those first yeah, because four those game, five five games, games, they're just not normal, no, are they? they? Were, they were unbelievably good. And on, honestly, just watching Sabalenka on the, on the court Philippe Chatrier today... And of course, we've got this quote now on, on the stadium, victory belongs to the most tenacious. And I couldn't, I couldn't separate watching Sabalenka, who I think is the epitome of, t- of tenacity on a tennis court, from that quote. It, it, was, it was all sort of making sense to me. Sabalenka on clay at Roland Garros. That quality of hers is so hard to to stop I think and so hard to overlook and combine that with with her ability to hit a tennis ball the way she does she is a real contender for this title if there were any doubts before today I think today has has confirmed that it was an incredible atmosphere inside that stadium tonight and I actually think that atmosphere was elevated by the fact that Sabalenka went five love up that Mm. That narrative arc of the Sloan Stevens comeback, sort of everybody's entertainment for the evening being held in the palm of Sloan Stevens' <laughs> hand at, at Love Five Down. Can she make this remotely competitive? And the way they got behind her and raised the roof, it gave me gave me goosebumps throughout. Yeah. Actually, it was a really special atmosphere inside Chetrier tonight. And I'd love to think, you know, I, I didn't vox pop anyone on the way out. I mean, please don't ever ask me to vox pop anybody because it's uh, one of the worst consistently things consistently the low the low points of my broadcasting career. Um, <laughs> but I, I I would love to think that there was an element of you know in the back of people's minds in the crowd going we want to show that we love the fact that we got a ticket for a women's tennis match tonight. We're loving this. We're going to be extra vocal. I I, I don't know, but I, I would like to think There's that. no question. The, the, everybody was loving it. Everybody was into it. And uh, really, I think what was great about it is that, I mean, Sloane Stevens just got better. Yes, uh, Sabalenko, it was a misfest that got her back into the match as well. But she started to remind you of what she does, what she can do wasn't quite sharp enough on the most important points. I mean, bear in mind, she got up a mini break in the tie break, 5-4. She and, was 5-4 serving, wasn't she? And, and she mm. was, uh, what was it, 4-all, 40-love, second set. And she lost the last nine points of the, game, of the, of the match to lose. Um, and again, at what point do you say, is Sabalenka just playing lights out? There was plenty of that. And what point do you say actually Stevens kind of didn't take a chance? I guess that was it. Honestly, I was never reminded tonight of what Sam Stevens can do. I never felt like we saw Sam Stevens, you know, in the sort of form that won her a Grand Sam title and got her to the French Open final. I, I felt like she was levels below that. I mean, she didn't hit a forehand winner. I mean, I know she's playing Arena Sabalenka and it's almost impossible to take take charge of these rallies but Sir Stephen's forehand used to be one of the best shots in the sport and but you can only do that off a ball that's there to hit I, when it's coming at you at Mac 10 I just don't think that's on right but uh, but she would have played Serena Williams and hit forehand winners like it is possible to maneuver with her movement it is possible to maneuver the rallies to get in a to get in a position to unload on forehands and hit them occasionally she's not going to be able to do it all the time against Sabalenka but there was some where she, she did and, and Sabalenka, Sabalenka got a racket got, on the ball sure, and it but, wouldn't go down as a winner. Like, sure, but not many. No, no, there weren't many. There well, weren't. She, she's not playing as well as she did back then. But Absolutely. There were definitely some signs there when she started to go toe-to-toe, side-to-side and middle the ball, at least timings-wise. But that's what it was. It was 
she was timing it back. She wasn't swinging mm. like and going after shots because a I think that it really must be. She was defending. She was defending the whole time. She was trying to keep her off. Um, and then I think that there is a there's a, a confidence level from winning loads of matches and contending for titles that, yeah. you, that you have, and you go for it. And here she was trying to stay in rallies, really. And it's quite interesting from a psychological perspective for Sabalenka. As we said, so many matches are on her racket, and that sounds like such a great thing. But it, it, it almost seems to add a bit of pressure, I think, as well. Like, if you're that in control... If something just goes a little bit off, it can it can run away from you, I think, quite quickly. And I think that's what we saw. I think that's what we've seen a lot in Sabalenka's career. I think she's got so much better at, at just stopping that ball running down the hill and she can't catch up with it again. You know, she's able to, to rein it in. But for five games there, she lost it completely, maybe even six games. Um, but generally this year, I think she's been so much better at managing those ups and downs. This was a slight... Slight reversion, it lasted a lot longer than it has done this year in a lot of her matches, this this spell of unforced errors. But impressive that she got it together again. Very important that she won that first set, I think. I think if she'd lost it from five love up, numerous set points, that mm. would have been a real test of how how much, you know, we know how much mentally stronger she's got, but it would have been probably the biggest test yet of... of of Sabalenka 2.0. And she still seemed annoyed after winning that set. She <laughs> yeah. was annoyed that she didn't win it six love. Like, well, yeah, I won it, but what on earth was I doing <laughs> in a tie break? <laughs> For goodness sake. Um, yeah, I mean, look, my, my emotions were definitely heightened this evening by, you know, the whole situation, which I know we've discussed at length and this being what is likely to be the only women's match in the the primetime slot at this tournament. And I had a lot of anxiety beforehand about what the quality of the match would be. And then I had a lot of internal... My, my internal monologue was a mess. I had a lot of um, internal sort of self, self-criticism about... It, do- it doesn't matter. It does not matter what the quality of this match is it's not their fault that they are the only women that have been given the opportunity to showcase women's tennis the the spotlight if it is a poor match then the spotlight the fingers should be pointed at the tournament for for only giving women one opportunity to to showcase themselves yeah and yet and yet you know Billie Jean King in 1973 shouldn't have had to have beaten an over-the-hill male chauvinist pig to prove that women have a right to be respected in sports. Obviously, the result of that match is neither here, than, neither here nor there. Women... <laughs> I mean, you know, to, to people that get it, <laughs> whether or not Billie Jean King could beat Bobby Riggs didn't matter at all. And yet, the state of the world and the state of the the debate around women and women in sport at that time meant that for to a lot of people that didn't get it it did matter and it helped them to get it and we know that the quality of that match tonight did not matter but a lot of people wouldn't have done and while that makes me sad it is a fact and you know we've been lucky enough to spend some time with with Billie Jean King over the years, which I can't believe is is a thing I'm actually saying. And she is the most incredible combination of idealistic and pragmatic I have ever encountered in one human being. She wants the world for women and she won't be satisfied until that happens. And yet she's incredibly pragmatic about achieving that aim. Um, and I think, Looking at it pragmatically, it was important that that match was good tonight. And I actually had a, a I, I got a bit tearful at five all in that first set when there was a moment when the the crowd were on their feet or lots of them were on their feet and there was just this groundswell of feeling swirling around Philippe Chatry. And I know I'm in, imposing my own my own narrative and <laughs> uh, as I've said, you know. 
Well, Catherine, a confused I was, internal monologue on the whole thing, but it, it, I found it quite emotional. I was sitting in the row in front of you. We weren't talking about it. I was feeling the same things. Mm. Exactly mm. the same. So. And there, there was a, a short interview on the court with um, Arena Sabalenka and, and Mats Valander, and you know, this is this is the last I'll say um, on the on the gender of it all until we come to do the segment on tomorrow's schedule of course um but she was asked um do you know that tonight was the first night we had a women's match on Shatria? i did find it extraordinary that sort of effectively the tournament were were putting that question to her like are you not sheepish about that but anyway um and she said, I didn't expect that many people watching our match. Amazing atmosphere. Thank you. Thank you so much. And she said in response to, did you know it was the first women's match? She said, yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I didn't expect all the people. And she kind of said it with, you know, a bit of a, bit of a smile in, you know, sort of Arena Sabalenka wry way. But it that was a heartbreaking quote. Absolutely heartbreaking. When you think of how men stride about the court and go, this is my effing house. You know, she's she's a reigning Grand Slam champion, world number two. She might very well win this title. Who plays like it's her effing house. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know. It's sad, isn't it? I mean, it, was, it was a sad quote. Yeah, it was. And it was one of the only quotes we got from Arena Sabalenka tonight because we waited around after the match, to see if there would be an Arena Sabalenka press conference. You'll remember there wasn't one after after the last round, not not anything we would recognise as a press conference. Um, and I kind of did expect her to come into press today. So did I. Um, and around about 20 minutes after the match, we, see, we received the following alert. Press announcement, Arena Sabalenka will not be doing a general press conference tonight. An interview with the WTA editorial reporter will be conducted shortly and transcribed and distributed. Um, and we've seen that interview. It's fine. Um, it's what you would expect from an in-house interview conducted by an internal reporter an internal wta reporter david yeah yeah an employee and uh it's a way i suppose of getting content out there but content is not journalism um and this is unsatisfactory we talked about it a couple of nights ago that should have been a, if if she isn't comfortable to come into a press conference at the moment, and I very much hope that efforts are being made to reassure her and 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 enable and encourage her to come to future press conferences because this can't just become the norm, um, then that should have been a pool reporter from the media, not an internal employee, because there's journalism to be done. You, it may not always be nice. Um, I certainly don't want it to be threatening. I certainly don't want people to feel that their mental health is is really compromised by journalism. But at the same time, it's important. It's part of the job, and um, and it it cannot be lost. Especially when I, I think for us, we feel particularly strong about this because you know we are three reporters from the same outlet paying to be here at considerable expense in order to cover to to gather the benefits for you for you listening of of covering this tournament on site gathering the the insights the observations the perceptions that you just can't remotely and we we worry that things like this are an erosion of that value and the motivation and justification to cover tournaments on site, which is something precious and its value should be defended and protected, I think, is how we feel. Yeah, it's definitely how I feel about it. Um, look, it, it is only two occasions. I hope that it doesn't 
carry on this week. I mean, I, I'm mindful that she's playing Elena Svitolina in the next round, and that doesn't feel like the most obvious re-entry point. Um, so I just hope that before the end of the tournament, she's talking to the media again. Mm. Here, here. Well, let's talk about Alina Svitolina, shall we? Actually, before we do that, shall we talk about... Da, 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 da. On through everybody. On location, the premium hospitality and experience <laughs> provider. provider. Thank you, Matt. Uh, who are sponsoring the tennis podcast throughout Roland Garros. On Location is the official tour operator of the BMP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in March. And we can tell you that their packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours. Oh, I went early with the fanfare, didn't I'm supposed to do it here. And now on sale for Indian Wells. Uh, Matt said earlier, the weather, the weather this week's been better than Indian Wells. <laughs> Well, that's a high bar, folks. Mm. I mean, it, it's a fact. Mm. Yeah. It's a fact, but it's also, it's, it shows you that Indian Wells is, is sort of the weather benchmark. Yeah, and I'm telling tour. you this, folks. I don't care really where you live. In March, Indian Wells is better than you in terms of weather. All right? Yeah, we weren't, yeah, we weren't we, in Paris in March. We weren't true. able to send photos home, were we, because of how <laughs> miserable it was yes. uh, back in the UK while we were sunning ourselves in Indian Wells that was a very real situation <laughs> if you would like to go to Indian Wells in style and get a tan uh, and experience one of the most spectacular settings to watch professional tennis staying in four or five star accommodation getting great tickets to watch the tennis and access to a hospitality suite to relax in between matches just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section now Elena Svitolina, straight sets win for her today against Daria Kazakina, 6-4-7-6. Matt and I watched the meat of this match over on Song Suzanne Longlen, and it was a joy, Matt. It really was. Svitolina is maybe the story of the tournament so far, really, I think, Um and what I hadn't yet fully appreciated because I hadn't seen her matches on the court until this one is just how much the crowd are with her at this tournament. You know, I think I think there's probably two reasons for that. One is, well, maybe even three reasons. One is she's a very likable player. I think she's always been quite popular. Two, she's... Ukrainian and I think uh, is is maybe getting some extra support because of that. And three is that she's Gamalfis's partner and Gamalfis is right there in in her box and they love Gamalfis and they've just sort of made Alina Svitolina one of their own. It felt like it was a French player playing, to be honest. And you know, in those long lens seats, it was nice to nice to experience those sorts of feelings and that sort of atmosphere again and I'm just so struck by how much drive and determination she's playing with I mean she was she was making a play for the intensity list I think right in front of your eyes it was you know we could literally see the look on her face and she was sort of clenched the whole match and I think that was perhaps the reason why she tried and failed to serve it out twice. She was she was tight. She was desperate to win. But it was also, I think, the reason why she ended up wrestling the match from Kasekina. It was both a, a positive and a negative, that, that determination that she was playing with. And, you know, generally she's got an incredible record against Kasekina. This was her seventh win in a row against her. Which I didn't quite understand because, okay, Svitolina won today in straight sets, but they were very evenly right. matched. Right, it didn't feel like it was no. a match-up problem for, no, for someone. I was really surprised mm. to find that out. And, and it turned out that Kasatkin has got a few head-to-heads like that against her. I, I saw one was against a, a Madison Keys. She's got so, a, see, that makes more sense That makes to more me. sense, just sort of Kasatkina hit off the court. just can get hit off the court, you know... I, I fear a bit for Svitolina against Sabalenka, and I would fear probably even more for mm. for Kazakina yeah. against against Sabalenka. But against Svitolina, that that head to head head to head well remains baffling, quite frankly. I think mm. one of them was Kerber as well, who's a bit more Svitolina like, albeit a left hander. But mm. 
having seen the way she beat Von Drosseville the other day when we were on long then, you can't imagine that she can't find some answers against players. Mm. It was such an interesting match because it, it felt like a training drill, you know, take the serve out of the equation. Yeah. You know, just neutralise that as a as a factor in, in rallies. Um, and that just made it so interesting. If you only had that from one side of the net, it would feel like a mismatch. But because kind of for both, I mean, Kazakina's serve is a bit weaker than, than Svitolina's. There was one... Um, it was at a very tight moment. I think she was either serving, I think she was serving to stay in uh, the A set, maybe the match, and Kazakina hit a serve that did not register on the on the speed gun. And she prior to that, she'd hit one that, and I was having to do some kilometers to miles conversion. It was about 111, kilo, no, it was 97 kilometers, which is 60 miles per hour. Oh my God. I've never Which seen is on that the on the um, speed of serve um, thing at Wimbledon one year. I managed to register one at sixty two, just just like that. Be I, put on the record. I, I haven't seen one that slow since I bounced one before the net against you. <laughs> before she hit the one that failed to register on the speed gun, I did have a little lull to myself while I was doing the um, the conversion because uh, the the ninety. No, prior to the 97 mile per hour one, there was a 111, sorry, kilometer per hour one. It's it's too many numbers, isn't it? (laughs) I've got myself in a quagmire, but I've got to push on. There was an 111 mile per hour one that I thought, oh gosh, I've got to look that up. No, no. Kilometers. Kilometers. Oh God, 111 (laughs) kilometer per hour one. I thought I've got to look that up because that's got to be one of the one of the slow. It just felt so slow, and it turned out that that was sixty nine miles per hour, and that is still faster than the uh, second serve that Alexander Zverev hit on uh, match point in the uh, fifth set tie break against Dominic Team at the US Open. <laughs> and that, I just I just had a chuckle to myself about that, but then. On the next point, I think she hit one that didn't register on the speed gun. That, that, that's a that's a low moment. Isn't yeah, it? it was a drop shot. The serve was a drop shot. I mean, it was almost a weapon because Svitolina <laughs> yes. couldn't couldn't get up to it, could she? She was so so shocked. Um, it was a brilliant press conference with Alina Svitolina afterwards on the hunger mat that you referenced. She said she talked about coming back to training in January, and she said I was so motivated. She said. She always intended to come back after having her daughter, Skye. But I don't think she knew how she would feel mm. about coming back. I mean, nobody knows how they're going to feel after after experiencing something so so life-changing. But she said she was almost more motivated than she'd ever been when she came back to training in January. Um, and... It makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense with what we're seeing. Those mm. quotes, it stacks up. She is, she is making a play for the intensityless people. Mm. Yeah, and and it's been quite interesting just looking at her results since she has come back. When she when she first started playing matches again, she was losing a lot of very tight matches. You know, not not converting set points, not converting match points, and yes, there was a bit of tightness today, but. Nothing beyond what you would expect. I just think it's interesting what takes the time to come back, you know, when you've been away for so long. And it it does seem for Svitolina like it was just that match sharpness, I suppose, that rising to the big moments. And she's absolutely found that over the last couple of weeks, winning a title and and now making this run to the quarterfinals. And, and we should say there was a there was a nice moment between the two players mm. at the end of the match. Obviously. We we knew that they weren't going to shake hands, a Ukrainian and a Russian player, but um, Svitolina had said prior to the match, I can't remember her exact words, Catherine, maybe you can, in terms of just how much she respected Kasakina for the stance that she's taken. And she recognised the bravery. Recognised the bravery of, of it. And uh, there was just, there was an acknowledgement between the two at a distance, but Kasakina gave her a thumbs up. And she sort of preempted the lack of handshake, didn't she? I, I interpret it as her saying, "I get it." Yeah, absolutely. And, and then it was very classy. And what wasn't classy was 
Casakina mm. was booed off the court by a large contingent of the crowd on Suzanne Long then, and that was a it was a real low moment of the mm. tournament actually. Yeah, it was, and I don't. If, it is potluck with this French crowd, isn't it? Because day one we saw Marta Kostuk being booed for not shaking hands with Arena Sabalenka, and now we've got Kazakina. Russian being booed off the court and you know I know we celebrate almost everything about the French crowd but exactly but as Matt they, says they just moment. seem to want to have a, a handshake no matter what and I don't know maybe they just don't get it I, I don't I, I don't understand really mm. Mm. so it is a Svitolina Sabalenka quarterfinal on paper I love that I do worry a bit about Svitolina being blasted off the court but she's canny she's experienced she's hungry you know I I don't write her off but I do I do have that concern in terms of the other women's quarterfinal that's been set up today we have Karolina Mukova who's just doing what we've always thought she would do if she could get a run of fitness together just sort of breeze through yeah. draws and make Sailing it to quarterfinals. Yeah, I know she's had a kind draw. She beat Avanasian today, 6-4-6-3. But, yeah, so she should be, you know, because she's what, fit and she's playing well and she's a is, great player. It's what the best players do. Absolutely. They, they just make efficient progress through players they should beat until they come up against somebody who's a top player and then you see what they're made of at another level. And um, she is coming up against a top player in the quarterfinals, a former finalist at the French Open, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Three hours and nine minutes for her over Elise Mertens today. 3-6, Another play, I mean, I, th- I think for various reasons, not quite the Svitolina story, but it's low-key an incredible story, Pavlyuchenkova. Mm. Oh, it really is. I mean, it... it it's a very interesting little quarterfinal lineup in that half. We've got three unseeded quarterfinalists, and yet they're all big names. You know, we know all of them. Svitolina is a former world number three. Mukova, exactly as you said, this feels like exactly where she should be getting to. And Pavlyuchenkova, the last time she played this tournament, she reached the final. So it's a it's a pretty stellar quarterfinal lineup, even if three of them are unseeded. And I thought this was a great match. I mean, I don't think Elise Mertens will be on your intensity list, but she was making her own sort of play for it today. I mean, what has there was a moment where over- I was like. What has overcome Elise Mertens? We saw her conducting the crowd against Jessica Pagula the other day, and she she was doing it again today. And she did a bit of sort of dastardly medical timeouting as well. (laughs) Yeah, when she was a a, a double breakdown in in that third set, she took a medical timeout. Pavlyuchenkova's face told the story of of how she felt about that, and that was was quite a cold handshake Mm. at the end of the match. But yeah, this one, Mertens was brilliant. For the first set and a half, you know, must be absolutely maddening to play. I think, especially in the wind, it was an extremely windy time of day when that match was on. And she just kept putting the ball back on Pavlyuchenkova's baseline. I mean, there were two occasions where Pavlyuchenkova left the ball thinking it was going out and it just plopped on her baseline. <laughs> and it just must have been so frustrating. So for Pavlyuchenkova to, to keep it together and to to persevere and it all sort of came down to the when she was a set down one three down Pavlyuchenko for serving she had to save seven break points to stop going a double breakdown and she did she came through that game the whole match turned after that suddenly Pavlyuchenko seemed to find a way to hit through the Mertens defenses and she still had to play the most unbelievable tie break to win the second set I mean I think every point she won was was a winner, basically, from Pavlyuchenko. It was absolutely awesome. And so great to see her playing like like this again uh, because she's a she's a great watch when she's playing well, Pavlyuchenko. Such a clean ball striker. And, uh, yeah, combined with real grit. And, yeah, it's a, it, it's a very effective combination. And the, there were a number of wonderful answers from her and her 
press conference today. I think the most insightful of the lot um, was an answer to a question about the defeat she suffered to Iga Sviantec in Rome. Mm. Love and love. You know, okay, it's Iga Sviantec, but she's a French Open finalist and she's getting beaten love and love on clay. You know, that's that's chastening. She totally owned that. Um, and it, the summary of the answer to me was... I would not be here in the quarterfinals if I hadn't lost love and love to Iga Svantec in Rome. It was a wake-up mm. call. She said to her, she said the words she said to her coaches, she came off the court, were, am I really that bad? And they sat down and they watched the footage of the match and she criticised herself harshly. She said, nope, that movement needs to get better, that forehand needs to get better, we're getting on the training, on the uh, on the practice court, and here she is. It's a cool story. It's, it's a cool story. It's, about. it's really cool. And I love it when, look, I mean, I'm sure different players have different approaches, different things work for different players, but I always enjoy it when I feel like a player is really taking some ownership over their own career rather than saying, oh, I'll leave that to the coach, mm. you know, the, whether it be the tactics or whatever. You know, m- maybe some players just don't want to have to think about a tactical plan and they will leave it to their coach, but... I just really liked the way she approached that. It was, a, you know, you often use the term, Catherine. It was a grown-up thing to do to to say no, no that that wasn't acceptable. No matter how good Igor Svantec is, I'm better than that. And to personally, you know, she she really made a point. I sat down and watched it and picked out the things that I didn't like and said to my coach, "We're working on these things." It was it was driven from her. I got the I got the feeling rather than someone telling her what she needs to do and. Yeah, it's it's made clearly made all the difference because this this feels like a dangerous thing to say. I don't think she would lose to Igor Sviantek Love and Love tomorrow if they played. It feels like she's she's playing a lot better than she was just a just a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's great to see. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against the new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. In the men's draw, we are now... (laughs) The third one of those today. One match away from Alcaraz against Djokovic one or, or two or, matches well, one what, round okay, one, one each I did a fanfare Matt <laughs> that's, that's no longer a sound bite is it see I decided to let you say that because you were less likely to we're get told off we're one round away from, <laughs> ba, 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 we're one round away from Alcaraz against Djokovic off you go it's exciting isn't it <laughs> 
It's happening. It is happening. Oh, Stefanos Tsitsipas says hi, Matt. Yeah. Carlos Alcaraz is head to head with Stefanos Tsitsipas says hi. Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer at the US Open says hi. <laughs> d- d- new Stan they have played, though. New Stan Rinka Karen Hashanov says hi. I'm trying to make that happen. Anyone, anyone on board? New Diesel. New, new, new Diesel. <laughs> no? I, I, I don't. Look, he's not him because we, we've we've... We know he doesn't have the same firepower and, and skill set, but he has the same engine and he has the same desire. And he is getting better, is Karen Hatchinov. He is maximising his career at the Grand Slams. And I think it's, it's admirable, really. Well, well, David, when we were watching that match today against Sonigo, you used the word withstand for what Hatchinov was doing. And I thought that was a very good description because... You know, for example, and I, I don't mean to pick on Andre Rublev. It feels like I, I sometimes do do that, but I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to make the point of difference between Hatchinov and Rublev. I don't think Rublev was able to withstand what Sonigo found in that match and ended up playing at such a high level. And it always felt like once he got a grip on that match, Sonigo, he was going to be so hard to stop and Rublev wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. But... Sonigo did start coming back at Hatchinov, and Hatchinov, as you said, was able to withstand it. And he was four love down in the in the third set tiebreak, Hatchinov, and yet still won it. Yeah, there was and, a there was a toughness about it. And this it. is a guy who lost the first set six one. Yeah, Hatchinov today. Yeah. You know, it reminded me a little bit of Coco Goff yesterday. Yes, I lost the set, but it doesn't mean anything to to the the attitude of and and this guy was two sets down in the first round against Constant Lestian. But he still won and he perseveres. He's a he's a really good competitor. Problem is, Djokovic today looked like Djokovic. He always has that match in the mm. middle of a slam where you suddenly realise okay. JP Varias though. Yeah, but it wasn't about that. It was he's played a couple of players that aren't really illustrious names or people that would normally live with him and and he's made a bit of a dog's dinner of them he's he's looked stressed he's looked irritable he's looked jaded he's looked hot and bothered he didn't look any of that today and yes he's playing a guy who's in the ranked in the 90s who's played three five set matches in a week I get all that but I've seen it so many times in the last three or four years when something just comes over him it's like Mm. this it's like he's got in the the spinning door as Clark Kent and come out as Superman. Mm. He, he's just a different guy, and I'm not. I, I, I certainly think Alcraft, who followed him onto the court, played just as well, arguably better, because of who he was playing against. And but it will require that to stop Djokovic if he's anything like he was today. I thought it was interesting that, you know, even accounting for, for the opposition, as you say, respect to, to J.P. Varias. J, J.B.? P. P. One, J. Pablo. I did say One Pablo. J.P. Um, you know, that's a good draw in the fourth round of a slam, Great isn't it? Draw, yeah. You know, on paper and also given the context of how much tennis Varias has played, uh, so far this tournament but Djokovic does not like the wind and it was windy today and he was untroubled by it. I thought he might make some drama just just within himself just because of that and as you said Dave, David he just was locked in that zone and he wasn't having any of it do you know who does like the windy <laughs> the other bloke Carlos Alcaraz identical scoreline for him against Lorenzo Musetti 6-3 Six two, six two. Not the match I was expecting. No, I mean Massetti got a break in the first game, and we were talking amongst ourselves about how ropey Alcaraz looked in those first few games. Six unforced errors in two games. Yeah, and and you just got the and, and we we had a, we had the pleasure of Kim Kleisters in our BBC commentary box, and she said the thing with him, with him is now he still has these spells they're just not lasting as long mm. he's able to regroup reset remember remember when he played Zverev last year he had two sets like that yeah before he got going and it's it's too much to to pull back uh, and that's you know, Zverev played very well that day but even so he just wasn't playing the real Carlos Alcaraz 
today, you know, after that, it was really quite fascinating to watch these two guys who've come up together, similar age, 21 and 20, and similar hype at the time, because Massetti had a lot of hype when he came out at Rome, and such a gorgeous-looking stroke on the backhand, and everything looks great. But the difference between the two of them in terms of intensity and and imagination and and power and and just relentlessness it it was everything that you, that we we hype up about our crowd he, he looked great today just one quick note on djokovic as well he he was in love with the crowd's reaction to him because they chanted his name at the end and he was he looked quite emotional about it all because he's had a pretty rough week i think with them um, the, the, it's it's been a bit ratty between the two sides, between him and the crowd, and uh, and he he showed again that he loves it when they love him, um, and so he was a happy bloke when he walked off. We went to Lorenzo Mazzetti's press conference, didn't we, Matt? Or certainly the the English portion of it. <laughs> yeah, we slipped out before the to, Italiano. I I had to duck under. I had to sort of do a crouching walk. But right in front of... I, I sat in the wrong place in room two <laughs> and I had to do a crouch walk underneath the the desk in full view of Lorenzo Musetti to, to... There were a lot of Italian journalists. I didn't know how long I'd be trapped in there if I didn't, if I didn't make a slightly awkward exit. So anyway, that happened. Um, I, wanted, I went in there because I wanted to get a sense of how gutted he was by that result. How how high his expectations were for that match. They played in a final last last year on clay and he won. And Alcaraz played well in that match. So I thought he might be a bit shocked by how far away he was today. And he was so far away. It was not competitive after those few games. And I actually think shocked might be the word I would use to, to sum it up. Matt, he was shocked, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I think I think he was quite representative of a lot of players on the ATP tour. They all seem to be a bit in awe of Alcaraz. They all seem to not quite understand <laughs> how he's doing this. And they all seem they also all seem to really love him. Mm. And I think I think there's maybe a little bit of protection self-protection in that you know if 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 you make out that you're playing against this sort of impossibly good person how can you fail because you've got no chance I think Alcaraz might be that impossibly good person I think that that does appear to be the case but I I just sort of just want them all to not stop respecting him but just go out there with a bit more disregard for just quite how good he is. It's, it, it, it's almost like, I'm going to use a football analogy, but I've often felt in the Premier League that the teams have had too much respect for Man City over the last mm. few years and they've sort of rolled over against them, whereas City found it much harder to win the Champions League because teams don't really realise how good Man City are week in, week out. They have a bit more belief when they play them, perhaps. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just a slight sense that I've had. And... I just feel like too many people are a bit in awe of Carlos Alcaraz, and you I want would more to be a bit more Holger Rune. Right, I think mm. Holger Rune would 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 be the caveat to that. He would be the exception, absolutely. Probably um, Sinner as well, like, but with less or of anyone. Chance. Yeah, um, but I asked Musetti to sort of compare Alcaraz now to Alcaraz a year ago because Musetti himself had said how much better Alcaraz had got. So I said, well. What's he got better at? And he didn't, he didn't really point to any individual aspects of his game. He mentioned his serve, but what he, he, he what said, he said, I, I'm better, he's better, and we're all thinking, well, one of you's more better. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's, there's a different order of magnitude of better here. But what he did was he he pointed to the fact that Alcaraz has has become a Grand Slam champion, and I think I think what he was getting at. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my interpretation of that was there's an experience that Alcaraz has got, there's a confidence that he's got that he can just bring to the court that others can't. 
and just yeah that kind of swagger that Alcaraz has got that none of the others have and I think opponents of Alcaraz feel that and I think he felt a bit jumped on I suppose when Alcaraz got going I mean he said I had a tactic you know I'd, and he he said I didn't even get to use it <laughs> he, did say, he, said, he said I had a tactic you know he really wanted us to know he had a strategy mm. didn't disclose what he what it was we will never know right and that's how it goes back to your word shocked I think he was just a bit shocked that's that bit, he didn't a bit like Tommy Paul against Djokovic at the Australian Open when he was going to serve and volley yeah. and he didn't serve and volley once <laughs> yeah exactly um, will Sitsipas feel that against Carlos Alcaraz. The thing is, I would put Sitsipas in that category of someone who seems to be a bit in awe of Alcaraz. You know, he just goes to, you know, just look at his quotes about him. I do think Sitsipas will will push him a lot more than Mazzetti, I think. He's playing really well. He is well, playing really Sitsipas. well. And the, really, really well. He just... It's, hasn't been tested in anything like the the way that Alcaraz will test him. He's he's several categories beyond anything right. that Sitsipas has played so far. I think that might even be problematic mm. because it, it, I saw some of the match against Sebastian Ofner who had a good first set and he, and he, he had a couple of little chances and he played well. But Sebastian Ofner and... He's he's just not in that league. I mean, so nobody is, apart from maybe one or two people that I can think of, like ever. <laughs> um, and and I just think as well, the very best players produce their best against the other good players. Mm. And and Djokovic should become a past master at it, particularly at his absolute peak in about 2016 when he would go out against Nadal and Federer and just destroy them in the Australian Open. And I just think there's a chance, looking at the body language of Alcaraz at the moment, I think, I think when he plays Sitsipas, he just might be even better. He might be even better than what we've seen because he knows he needs to be good. And I just mm. think he could be awesome. And, and Sitsipas is a really, really good player, but he ain't that good. Yeah, well, those matches will be in a couple of days' time. Just before we get on to tomorrow's schedule, quickly, a, a strange incident that, that transpired in the women's doubles earlier on today. You might have seen this uh, around and about because it's been blowing up on social media. The 16th seed, Miyu Kato of Japan and Aldila Sujiada of Indonesia were controversially defaulted from the women's doubles today while leading 3-1 in the second set against the unseeded pairing of Marie Buzkova and Saris Ribes Tormo. The incident that prompted the disqualification was Kato, and, I, and I've watched this clip over and over, innocently patting the ball to the server's end of the court after a point. She was up at the net. The the ball was at her feet. She, you know, she was patting it down to, to the server's end. Um, and it purely by chance, bad luck, misfortune, hit a ball girl and caused her quite some distress. Initially, only a warning was given by the chair umpire because it was extremely clear that nothing reckless had taken place, nothing intentional, nothing remotely out of control. It was just sort of a, a freak incident. But Sarasaribis, Tormo and Buzkova lobbied for the supervisor to be brought onto court. I don't think... Again, from the footage, it doesn't look like they'd seen the, the ball being hit. They'd just seen the reaction from the ball girl. And they thought, this is a serious thing. They were pushing for a disqualification. Supervisors brought onto court. And the supervisor then kind of overrules the umpire and disqualifies Kato and Sujiada. Uh, several players have weighed in on social media, including Gilles Simon and Luca Puy. It seems like all of men's... French French men's tennis were were watching this match today. Shameful was how Luca Puy described the the decision to disqualify and the actions of Buzkova and Cerebes Tormo in 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 pushing for for the disqualification. Look, I don't want to come down like a, a ton of bricks on them because I don't know what they knew and what they saw, but I certainly think 
that is a, a tremendously unfair disqualification for for those two, and I really feel for them. It was it was quite upsetting, really, seeing how upset Cato was by the fact that the ball girl was so upset, and she's issued an apology on Twitter, and it's all just it's all really unfortunate, I think. So tomorrow's schedule. We start on Chatre with Bernarda Perra against Ons Jabur. Then it's Nicholas Jarry against Kasper Anna-Karolina Schmiedlova third on against Coco Goff. And in the night session, Grigor Dimitrov against Alexander Zverev. That's the third consecutive night session for Zverev. It now means he has played more night session matches this year than women have ever played night session matches on Chatrier. Just... Give that a beat to sink in. Uh, while we're taking a beat, what do we think of Dimitrov's chances there, David? You have had a word with his coach, I believe. Yeah, one of, one of his two coaches. He's actually coached these days by Danny Valverdu, who was his coach when he got to the semi-finals of the Australian Open. And also now Jamie Delgado, who used to coach Andy Murray and then briefly Denis Shapovalov. Jamie was telling me that they sort of really share it. Danny does 25 weeks, he does 20. Um, and I basically wanted to know, well, what did you find when you started coaching him? And it is quite recent. It's only this year. He, and he said he was kind of, he was losing his way a bit. He said, everybody knows how talented he is, but he'd got into a few bad habits, I think, off the court. He wasn't he said he works hard, but he he wasn't working consistently, really. So they've tried to improve that, and they have. They feel like they have done. Um, but you know, he said a lot of it's about trying to figure out ways to get his forehand into play against anybody because that's his real weapon. And I said to him, "Well, you know, my theory is that what would give him a chance is his movement and his slice backhand because he can diffuse with that. He's done it against Kyrgios. He's got two out of three wins against Kyrgios. Is that, is that something that you could imagine working? And he was quite clear that he thought it was, you know, that that might be a tactic on the run. Um, I mean, I think that he's got a real chance, personally, Dimitrov. David available for hire as a <laughs> who, as a tactics coach. Who was it you were going to coach? Rublev. Rublev. Yeah, but for I, pumpness. For, for pumpness, but he's got the he's got the tactics. <laughs> he's, he's the got full it, package he's now. Got, he's got it all. <laughs> Although Rublev doesn't have a slice backhand. No, you'd have to do the technical. You'd have to teach it, breed, yeah. the, grow the slice backhand. You've got quite scratch. a good slice, David. But I don't think Rublev has, and I don't. That's what I'm saying. Cap- I don't think he's capable of it. I think he doesn't need it though because he's got something that Dimitrov doesn't have. He's got the whiplash. I think he might need you know, it. But actually, Jamie was saying that he needs to use the slice more than he had been. He's been get, he's, they've tried to get that back out on the court because it's an unusual mm. slice, I think, in the game today. Not many players can quite hit it like he does. So it will be really interesting because he's got a terrible record against Verve. He hasn't, mm. I think he's only won the one match, hasn't and, he? And, and that was in 2014. Ago. Yeah, that's before Verve was barely 16 or 17. So he's a massive underdog, but I just, you just, never know, David. Yeah. You just never know. You just <laughs> never know. And look, David is available for hire. Contact <laughs> us um, on Instagram. Drop us, a, drop us an Instagram message if you'd like to uh, enlist the coaching services of David Law. No duffers there. <laughs> we, you've got to have a prepackaged slice backhand. Yeah, Those basically are got the to, rules. You've got to play like Roger Federer or Grigor Dimitrov and I'll just sort of be a cherry on top, you know. <laughs> yeah. A, uh, what did Billie Jean King describe herself as being for Martina Navratilova? Oh, a jolt. The jolt. Yeah, I'll be a jolt. All You'll right, be folks? a jolt. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Available for hire. <laughs> he's our jolt isn't he Matt <laughs> every day every day right then that is your lot for today except to tell you that our Roland Garros mascot is Phoebe hello lovely Phoebe our personal mascots are Maisie Zenya and Darwin two out of three today for us great <laughs> do you Billy... know I, I'm on an almost Reggie run I mean it's getting rough yeah Okay, let's move on. Fortunately for you, Reggie is still on a Reggie run. Though. Still a thing. <laughs> <laughs> B- 
Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Randy Curtis. All right, Randy. Hello, Rand. Not That's not Big Randy, is it? No, but it is like Big Randy, isn't it? How big is Randy Curtis? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> Well, <laughs> not going to be able to podcast for the rest of this episode. <laughs> can, can, can I maybe just help by explaining that Big Randy is six foot eight. He is one of the co-hosts of the No Laying Up Golf podcast, and he's called Big Randy because he's very, very tall. So I don't know how very, very tall Randy Curtis is. <laughs> Um, but, <laughs> so that's all I can say. Uh, so yeah, like Big Randy from No Laying Up. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. <laughs> Randy is an avid tennis fan and an outdoor landscape <laughs> photographer. Wow, cool. That's not what I asked, but great. Brilliant. Just trying to find words at the moment. <laughs> What else? Sally Ann. Sally Ann. Is it Sally Ann Law? No, no, it's not. Because <laughs> we've got Sally Ann Law, who's been a shout out on this podcast. So Sally Ann, like Sally Ann Law. <laughs> it's Sally Ann Dunn. Oh, Sally Ann Dunn, even better. Well, no, equally good. I seem to be getting myself into all sorts of trouble. Uh, Sally Ann, uh, thank you for being a friend of the tennis podcast. Do we know anything else about Sally Ann apart from the fact that she's not called Sally Ann Law? She says uh, she's from Tunbridge Wells, UK. Brackets, no jokes, please. Well, we've already well, done the I jokes. I haven't got any Tunbridge Wells jokes. No, I quite. I think I'd quite Why, like to visit. Is that a thing? Are they the butt of lots of jokes? They shouldn't be. Is that where Tories are from? Is that a joke? It's not a funny one. No. Nothing funny about that. I don't I don't I don't know. But anyway, Sally Ann, thank you so much for being a friend of the <laughs> thank tennis. Thank you, podcast. Sally Ann. I don't know any tennis players. You've sobered us players. up with, with Tories, Matt. Thank you. I don't know any tennis players called uh, called Sally Ann. No. Moving on. Finally we've got Michael Toth. Right, Michael. We've had Michael Toth before. Do you know his anecdote? Mm, no, I don't. He says that he's an American living in Putney. And he says, given that last year my mention of being a member at Putney Lawn Tennis Club triggered some traumatic memories for Catherine about how much she enjoyed barbecues, I figure we should stay well clear of that this time. He says instead that his fact is that he went to the University of Florida like Ben Shelton. Wow. The Gators, that's that's what the tennis team are called there. Mm. Michael, like Michael Chang. Any other Michaels that were tennis players? Shtick? Uh, Russell? Yeah. Now coach of Taylor Fritz? That's right. Oh, we've come up with three. Very well done, us. Yeah. Hello, Michael. Maybe I'll see you around Putney. Please wear Tennis Podcast merch at all times so <laughs> to help me identify <laughs> you. <Okay>. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right then. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And thank you to Friends of the Tennis Podcast for supporting us in being here. Likewise, to On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider whose tickets for New Wells 2024 are now on sale. We'll be back tomorrow with another one of these. We'll speak to you then. 